0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Exodus chapter 9, if you have a Bible with you. Exodus chapter 9, we are in the seventh plague of God on Egypt, the Lord raining down judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt for their disobedience to his command. And as God comes to deliver, to redeem, and to dwell with his people, he is bringing his judgment on his adversaries. We're in a long text this morning, and as we move forward now, the seventh plague into the next three plagues, and on into Exodus, we are now moving into a bit larger, sweeping passages of Scripture. They're going to become just larger, longer texts. So let's jump in here to Exodus 9, and we're going to read 13 through 35 this morning. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth." For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. The Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen... Where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you in this hour, God, to learn. And though you have asked me to speak this morning, I am keenly aware that it must be your spirit according to your truth. And so, Father, I ask, would you speak through me as you speak to me, Father? Father, I pray that my heart would be tender and softened to your word. And I pray that those gathered here, Father, would be able to hear. God, give ears to hear and hearts to understand and receive, eyes to see. Father, I pray that as your word is proclaimed here and as we work through this seventh plague in Egypt, God, I pray that the sinner would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray, Father, that as we look into your word that holiness among your people would be promoted And I pray, Father, as we see your judgment and your mercy, I pray that Christ, the Lord Jesus, would be exalted. We pray this in his name. Amen. I titled it, Thunder and Hail and Fire. Very clever. Out of the text today, I have one thing for us to kind of pay attention to and, and look for as we work through this sweeping passage. And for those that have been with it, you looked at your watch, you looked at the text, and you thought, oh my goodness, it's like 22 verses. What are we going to do? Well, let's find out what we're going to do. But I have one thing I want you to be paying attention to as we work through this text today. I want you to pay attention to And to look for and for us to see the mercy of God in a greater way. The mercy of God in a greater way. Much of what we're going to do here this morning is to review how previous plagues have come, how this one comes, but there are some very specific things that we need to pay attention to out of this plague. First, the seventh plague comes in the pattern of the first. Remember? Rise up early, go and present yourself to Pharaoh. Comes in the pattern of the first plague and the fourth plague. We are entering the third set, I've talked about this, of three plagues. There are three sets of three plagues. We're in the first one here, in the seventh plague, seven, eight, nine, and then the grandest of them all, the tenth. In the seventh plague, it comes in the pattern of the first and the fourth. Rise up early and present yourself. Notice the same demand. Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Listen, how many times has God come to you and said, Child, do this. And you haven't. Child. And you don't. Because we read Pharaoh and we're like, Gosh, how hard was this guy? But let's not look so far past ourselves that we don't see our own hardness to obeying God when he speaks. Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, let my people go. Look what he says. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. The Lord here states what Moses stated, if you recall back in Exodus 8, chapter 8, verse 10, look what Moses says back there. And he said, this is an interaction between Moses and Pharaoh, when shall I pray? Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. God now stating himself through Moses, Pharaoh, there's no one like me. You are fighting a fight of futility against me. Let my people go. And so as we see the judgment of God falling on the Egyptians, I want us to not lose sight of the fact that God is extending the opportunity for Pharaoh's obedience and is thereby showing himself to be merciful as he does it. That you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. But then the Lord reveals something else about these plagues and about his very nature. And look at what it is. Look at verse 15 and 16. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. Why is God just playing around here? Why doesn't he just take care of it? How long are we going to have to put up with all of this nonsense in Egypt? And don't we ask the same things about sin in the world today? When will it all come to an end? And God here to Pharaoh is saying, I could have done this by now. Why? Because he's God and he's right to. God, in our sin, would be right to say, no more. However, his patience is In our sin reveals the grandness of His purpose. You're probably gonna wanna write that down and think about it. The patience of God in our sin, and let's think about our sin in terms of persistent, because it doesn't ever leave us alone, does it? The patience of God and the persistence of our sin reveals the grandness of His purpose. Why? For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power, look it, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Men, uh, not to shame those that weren't, but if you're at the retreat, show me your hand. Thank you. What was the theme we focused on all weekend? I didn't plan it. I knew what he was talking about. I didn't pay enough attention to it, but what did we focus on all weekend? All weekend. Oh, that's weak. Everybody's like, did you go to a retreat? What did you do? Ready? On three. One, two, three. For God to reveal himself in his glory. God is revealing himself. Here's the deal. Everything that is happening, you don't like this, I don't like this, we don't like this. Everything that happens on the face of planet earth, every life, every natural disaster, every war. Every birth of a precious child, every good and happy thing, everything is happening for one reason and one reason only. You need a biblical worldview to talk to the world about what's happening. Why is all this happening? I can tell you why. God is achieving glory for himself as God. Well, that sounds selfish. That's because you're not holy and perfect like he is. God is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is achieving for himself his glory. Look it. I've raised you up for this purpose. What purpose? To turn your water to blood. To cover your land with frogs. To put flies in your bread. To put gnats in your ears. To put boils on your body. To kill your livestock. To rain hail. To send locusts. To bring darkness and to take the firstborn of your wicked heart for my glory. And we don't like that. God's doing all of this for his glory? Yeah. Remember what we talked about in Romans several weeks ago? What if God endured patiently with objects of wrath prepared beforehand for destruction. In order, what? To show his mercy, his glory to vessels prepared for mercy. As we look at what God is doing, this text, Exodus 9, 7, 8, 9, 10, all of the Bible should cause us to look at it and say, God, is declaring his glory to me, a vessel of mercy. You see where the prayer tied in earlier? You're a merciful God, our Father and our Lord, but we squander your mercy. We live for ourselves while you show yourself merciful, And you call for us to praise you, but we praise ourselves, we praise others, and we don't praise God in light of a merciful God. We squander it. God is showing who he is. I am merciful. But he is demonstrating his mercy here in his judgment. He's right to do so. He is achieving glory for himself in how he deals with the wicked. And we saw Let my people go. For now, if you don't, I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and your people. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people, and you would have gone from the face of the earth. I don't know. Some might be saying. You might look at the text. You might be wrestling with. I just think that God kind of seems like an angry jerk. He could have done it some other way. Right like yours? He could have done it your way? Would you have preferred that God, instead of being all infinite, all wise, immortal, to have condescended to your judgment? Hey, uh, I'm here. I created everything. Behold, it's all good. It was all perfect, and Adam wrecked it. And so I'm just curious, Smitty, what you would do. I'm just curious... Pastor, what's your counsel to me about what has happened here? How many times have you wanted God to ask your opinion? How many times have you told God your opinion? How's that worked out? This is how selfish we are. I don't want to deal with this God because I think He should deal with what I want. Well, that's because you haven't paid attention to the God of the Bible. You are still, what does he say? Look at 17. You are still exalting yourself. I, I, I don't know, Pastor, I just think God could have done it some other way. Right, because when we struggle with what God does, it's because we wouldn't do it that way. Despite God telling us, I don't do things the way you do them. I don't think the way you think. I don't do the way you do Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9. Write it down, underline it, memorize it. My ways, it's not that they're not like our ways, it's not that his thoughts are not like our thoughts. God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Remember when we, we studied through, uh, through the COVID season in the 2020 and into the start of 2021, we kind of were looking uh, week by week in the Village News email at the attributes of God. And one of those attributes that we talked about was God's transcendence. He's a transcendent God. He is unlike us, so far above us. And there's beauty in that because God says that through Jesus, he's with us, but he is not like us. And so when we struggle with what God does and the way he does it is typically because he didn't consult me. I could have told him how to do it perfectly, but he didn't ask me. You know why? Because he's doing it perfectly. What you want is precisely what he's doing if you will simply submit in obedience to your king. Let's not hear, you get what you want if you obey. No, God is achieving his purpose and he is working and exercising his plan and because he is perfect and because he is holy, the perfection that we want is being achieved by a God who is perfect outside of our ability to comprehend it. Every trial, every struggle, every hardship, every joy, God is achieving glory and he's doing it for your good. And we refuse to see it because our pride tells us, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't go about it in that way. I wouldn't give myself this position in life. I wouldn't put these neighbors next to me. I wouldn't have a church meet in a school. I would do it different. And if God would ask, I would do it better. Oh, pride. Oh, pride. Forgive us, Father. Turn over to Psalm 18 if you would. Our view is distorted of God, and only God can give us what? Eyes to what? God gives us eyes to see. We do not see naturally. We see God as God reveals himself in his creation and in his word. Look what David wrote. You can also find this in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Look in Psalm 18. Look at verse 25 and 26. Psalm 18, 25 and 26 With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. How many people can raise their hand and attest to the mercy of God? He's merciful. He's so merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. Maybe you're here today and though it's a struggle, you're endeavoring to walk in uprightness of heart. You're endeavoring to not have blame in your life and you can look to a perfect God who is blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. Look, And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. Do you know how you become merciful, blameless, and pure? Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can you be merciful, blameless, and pure. Do you know what you are without the Lord Jesus Christ? Crooked. Do you know what we are in this life? Well, God sanctifies us from the day of salvation to the day of completion, do you know what we are in this ever-sanctifying life? You know what we are? Crooked. This life is skewed because of sin. It broke everything. Our best theology is skewed because of sin. Our best worship is faulty because of sin. Our best understanding We endeavor, we read, we learn, we know, but it's skewed and faulty because of sin, crooked. And you might look at Pharaoh here in Egypt and think, gosh, just torturing those people. And when we look at God, and when we see God as crooked, he is not the one out of order. When we look at God and we see him as faulty, when we look at God and see him as imperfect, when we look at God and see him as tortuous, it's us. We are crooked. Pharaoh has had enough. I want you to observe before we get to Pharaoh. Look what's happening as we work along. God extends his mercy twice Let my people go, for if you don't, I'm going to send hail. He doesn't. So the hail's coming. But look at the mercy of God. As we are contemplating, wow, God is harsh, and he has a right and a reason, every right and every reason to be. Look what he says. Behold, about this time tomorrow, verse 18, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now, verse 19. Now, therefore, (laughs) Pharaoh... I'm going to pummel your land with great big hailstones that will kill and destroy what they fall on. Sounds great. Pharaoh, so desiring am I that none would perish. Go get them out of the field. I'm giving you an opportunity, Pharaoh, to get your servants And the beasts that, the boils and the sores and that weren't struck down by my plague on them, that those didn't die there. I'm willing to give you a minute here to get, go Pharaoh, go, go Pharaoh. Look what happens, look what happens. Now therefore send, get your livestock, bring them into shelter. Mercy, that's mercy. You want to be circling verse 19 and in your margin you want to write the mercy of God. Look at verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. How quickly did we read it? And how slowly were we to pay attention to it? Then those who feared the word of the Lord. Pharaoh, listen, you're the king in all of Egypt, Pharaoh. But we saw the blood, we saw the frogs, We saw the gnats. We saw the livestock fall. I still had this insatiable, itchy pain all over my body in these sores. I'm starting to believe this God of Moses. So I'm going to go do what he said, right? Some people are starting to learn. Pay attention. What has happened? We're in seven plagues. What has happened? And they sinned, and they hardened, and they didn't, and they sinned, and they hardened, and they didn't. But all of a sudden, now notice, after it got physical, after it got really real with the people of Egypt, I'm gonna rush out there, and I'll be right back. I got some stuff in the field. Some listened. Whoever feared the word of the Lord listened, heard it, Accepted mercy. Verse 21. But whoever did not pay attention left them in the field. God extending his mercy. I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to send such hail that has never been seen. Let me give you a moment. You have precisely the rest of whatever the day is to go and get your stuff or it's going to die in the field. Some did, some didn't. And as promised, the plague comes. It strikes everything. Look at verse 25 and 26. The hail struck down everything that was in the field. In all of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Look, at it goes on. Every plant, every tree, but not in the land of Goshen. That separation, that distinction. I send my judgment on my adversaries while I protect my people. Like, we better understand that as bad as life gets, you're under the sovereign protection of God Almighty. What shall, what can man do to me? Though a thousand rise up against me, who can separate us? Nothing, because you are divinely protected by the hand of a sovereign God. Then look, this is a switch. Here comes the hail. Everything's pounded. Look at Pharaoh's words. This time... I've sinned, Moses. This time, I've done wrong. Look what he says. The Lord is right. The Lord is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Boy, if ever there was a confession of sin. I have, you want to know how to confess your sin? You want to know what makes up a true confession of sin? Look at Pharaoh. Consider Pharaoh for a pattern of true confession. At least in his words. I've sinned, the Lord is right, I am wrong. If the conviction of sin in your life does not come with, I have sinned, you are right Lord, and I am wrong, then you have not understood your sin. You have not understood your position before a holy God. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I am in the wrong. Let's look at what he says. I want to break this down. This is where it becomes extremely crucial in this text right here. I have sinned. The Hebrew word for I have sinned is the word hatah. I can't really roll my R's. Hatah. I can't do our H's the way they R's. can't roll my H's the way they do. The Hebrew word hatah, it means this. I have sinned. Pharaoh says, I have sinned means to miss, to miss the way, to go wrong, to incur a guilt. Pharaoh is recognizing that he has done wrong. I have incurred a guilt. Understand that recognizing and acknowledging our sin is necessary. I have sinned. We must recognize it. We must acknowledge it. And we pick up on Pharaoh to at least, at least he is apparently beginning to understand because no mouth utters the words, I have sinned, God is right, and I am wrong, unless they are starting to come to a conclusion about themselves and God. A divine conclusion. He's being led to understand I have sinned. God is right. I am wrong. Correct, Pharaoh. God is right. You are wrong. You have not done what God said to do. You have sinned. All correct. But let us more carefully observe three things from what happens following what Pharaoh says, even right in what he says. Pay close attention. Look what he says. Look it. Verse 27, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, look, this time, this time, Pharaoh, this is plague number seven. It's just now, only now. Pharaoh, it's not just now. It's not that you have sinned. That's correct, you have. But it's not just that you have sinned. Listen to the word of the Lord this morning. It's not just that you have sinned. It's that you are a sinner. It's not just that I have done wrong. It's that I am wrong. I am fully laden with sin, I'm wholly destitute. And even in our redemption, the guys we spent a little bit of time talking about, this. even in our redemption, being sanctified by the Spirit of God, according to the truth of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, by God's grace, according to his mercy, we still struggle with sin. We're still wrecked with sin in this body. And that's not going to change until we are called out to the day of redemption, the day of completion of God's work in our life. First, this time, What about those other times, Pharaoh? It's not that you have sinned. It's that you're actively sinning. Not just this time. And it's not just in what you do. It is in what you are. I am a sinner. First thing Pharaoh says this time. Second, in Pharaoh's confession here and the actions that follow true confession of actions have things that follow like what like no longer doing that thing that you said you knew was wrong i'm sorry god i am wrong i have sinned you are right i am wrong i will change my action what should pharaoh do go look what he says i have sinned the lord is right i am wrong please the lord That the thunder and the hail may stop. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. Right? Right movement. Right words. Is that what he did? No. No. Look down at verse 28. Uh, Sorry, not 28. Uh, uh, Right. Pharaoh says, plead with the Lord that... uh, Lost my train of thought. It happens every once in a while. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. Why is he confessing his sin? Not because he is changing and moving away from his sin. What's he doing? He wants God to stop the judgment. He doesn't want to be right with God. It's not about confessing his sin that he may be right before God. It's about plead with the Lord. Look what he says There has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I've sinned. I am wrong. God, you are right. This time, I'm not sure about the other times. True confessions that have they have actions that follow, but they don't follow here because all of a sudden plead that the thunder and the hail may go away. Lastly, look at this. Genuine confession of sin is followed by repentance. But look what happened. Does he let the people go? No. Verse 34, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. I would ask for a show of hands, but let's not do that on this one. How many times have you just been begging for forgiveness from God for your sin because something's not going right? Miraculously, something changes. The situation improves, and what do you do? You just jump right back to the sin because you got out of that tight spot. Just need, a little, just need a little help. Lord, I'm really sorry. I'm wrong. You are right. Right, child? Right. But thanks for stopping the thunder and the hail. I'm not letting your people go like I said I would do. There's no, there's no genuine confession. There's no genuine repentance. It's as shallow as we're reading it on the pages of Scripture. I've sinned. You don't understand what your sin means, Pharaoh. I'm, I'm wrong and God is right, but you don't want to really believe that, Pharaoh, because if you did, you would actually let the people of Israel go. But instead, Moses clues us in here so well. Again, he goes and pleads for his enemy. How often are you praying for your enemies? How often are you praying for those that persecute you? Moses is doing it over and over. I'll go ask God to make it stop. Lord, have mercy. Stop the hail. And the hail stops. And God is merciful on the Egyptians. Moses clues us in here, though, as to precisely how Pharaoh's wicked heart was calculating. So, why verse 31 and verse 32 become so important and you need to make a note of those because we're going to pay attention to those next week in chapter 10. Look what he says. Verse 30. I know that you don't fear the Lord yet. You do not yet fear the Lord. How is Pharaoh calculating? Look it. The flax and the barley were struck down for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat... And the emmer were not. Moses very carefully pointing this out. Why? Because how do we calculate? Uh, This is really bad. I want the hail to stop. We've lost some. But we haven't lost that. I want you to pay very careful attention to this that's happening right now in Exodus 9 with the barley and the emmer not being struck down. He's calculating I got a little cushion over here. I know that I've done wrong, God, but I still have some confidence in myself and I'm not letting your people go because I'm still willing to trust in myself and not obey your word. Moses points it out and verse 31 and verse 32 are going to be so important next week. Here's a, here's a preview. The judgment of God is thorough and complete. And he will remove every ounce of our exaltation against him. And so God stops the plague of hail. And Pharaoh hardens his heart just as the Lord had said Despite Pharaoh's confession, it's fake, God shows mercy through this entire plague. Through the entire seventh plague, what's on display? Let's not pay so much attention to the judgment of God as to the extension of mercy to the disobedient. Oh, and I'm so thankful that God extends his mercy. I wonder, as we close this chapter, verse chapter 9, As we contemplate and reflect, try to apply the scripture to our lives as we leave from this place and go into our life and work and whatever God has for us. Does God seem tortuous to you? Are you in right alignment with God or does he seem crooked? Because if God seems crooked, it's our heart that is off. If God and His judgment, and I don't just mean the judgment of you've done wrong, here's the punishment. I mean God and His judgment as the author from all things from the beginning to the end. If in your circumstance in this life, God's infinite wisdom, His judgment, His calculated plan for your life seems off to you, it's not that God is crooked, it's that you are. I am. We are in need of alignment with God, not God in alignment to us. Our position needs to change. We need to become a straight line. We need to view God as merciful, as blameless, as pure. Why? Because he is, and through faith in Jesus Christ, he makes us so as well. And the only way for our position to change, the only way for us to not view God as crooked, to not view God as tortuous, is for us to come into alignment through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure you do. Are you dealing with sin in your life? Because dealing with sin was not a one-time, Father, forgive me, save me, amen. Dealing with sin is daily I bow my knee, and Father, forgive me, I am a sinner. Redeemed? Oh, yeah, praise God. Waiting a blessed day of hope when Christ returns and calls us home? Absolutely, amen but wrecked with sin in this life. Our thoughts, our desires, our actions, our position needs to change. And the only thing that can truly do that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, true confession, true repentance, and appealing to the mercy of God. People, How are we saved? Well, we repent of sin, we trust Christ by faith. You're getting close to the mark of right. You're saved according to to God's mercy. It is the mercy of God that extends his grace through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby faith you can trust and be saved. God shows himself to be merciful. John reminds us, first John 1, 8, 9, and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So a good step for us in changing our position and how we view God would be to just wrestle down the fact that we're sinners. Don't deceive yourself. Don't be deceived. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Well, it must be tough for those people who struggle with sin, but whew, I met Jesus back in 1932, and I've been perfect ever since. No. No, you're still a sinner. You're still wrestling with sin. You're still struggling with sin. You have sin in you. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Interesting, 1 John 1.8 and 1 John 1.10. If we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. We make him to be a liar. His word is not in us. His truth is not in us. And the next thing you know, you're saying, I've sinned. God is right. I am wrong, but I'm doing nothing about it whatsoever. And 1 John 1.9 says, Oh, blessed words. Thank you, Lord. If we confess our sins, it was the last time you dealt with confession before God truly. Father, forgive me. I am a sinner. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see the hail falling on Pharaoh. Such as has never been seen. And I could not help but think about how this passage is such a shadow of end time prophecy. Because in Exodus chapter 9, hail is falling and is killing. And God warned get into shelter if you're listening. In Revelation chapter 16, the Bible says that in the judgment of God on mankind, after God's patience has ended with sin, there will be no merciful shelter available. And Revelation 16 says that giant hailstones, read it for yourself, about a hundred pounds each fell from the sky and killed sinful man. This is a warning to us now. Mercy is extended by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now get out of the field. Get into shelter. There's a hailstorm coming. As we see God allowing his enemies to find shelter and escape the hail which they did not deserve, may we remember that we are as undeserving as they Yet God, in his mercy, offers shelter to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe may be here today, Pastor, can you explain more about faith in Jesus Christ? I'd be happy to. Let me simply share the gospel this quickly. Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. He rose on the third day. He ascended into heaven, and one day he is returning to gather his own unto him. And the Bible says, Call upon his name. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved, and none will be turned away. To all who are thirsty, come and drink. If you want to talk more about that, I would love to right now. Would you stand and pray with me? And then we're going to sing a song together. Father, You are a merciful God. And we recognize that even standing here this morning, your mercy is on display. You've given us life. You've given us the goodness of friendships and a church family. Father, you are good. Father, we heed the warning to mercy. Get out of the field. The judgment of God is coming. Father, to those of us in this room who have found refuge in Christ, we praise you and we thank you. And to those in this room who have not, Father, oh, that you would be merciful and allow them to escape your coming judgment. Show them your mercy. Show them yourself to be merciful. Show them yourself to be blameless. Show them yourself to be pure. Make straight the path Of the crooked. May we go forward, Father, glorifying you and exalting your name, for you are merciful, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard, or if we can pray for you, please contact us at at infothevillagemi.com. Until next time, stay in God's Word.